Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we're going to be unpacking the common understandings around the term organic. This is something that um, we've seen has some conflicting arguments on either side. You know, should people be spending extra money to purchase organic produce or meats or eggs or packaged products or should they be saving their money? And is the difference between an organically farmed, you know, vegetable even negligible or is it valid? So we're going to be talking about this. I think we have an interesting perspective. I want to sort of toe the difficult middle line really, on this discussion, because I recently listened to an argument on the opposite side, basically stating that organic is a marketing scheme and and nothing really more. And so I think there's more to discuss in that line of thinking, but I think that there are some points behind that that we all kind of have felt before. Yeah, kick me off with, with a little bit of understanding of what, like a definition of organic. And when we say that, right, we're talking about the USDA organic food label mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. So give me, give me a definition there. Yeah. So I was surprised to find that the USDA has been using the term organic officially only since 2002. It's pretty new. I was thinking it was more in the 1980s. Um, but I think as chemical farming came into be and then a shift then happened again, when we shifted away from chemical farming, the rise of modern day organics is when the USDA kind of came online and said, all right, people are using this term. We want to regulate it Mm because that's what the USDA likes to do. That's their purpose. So according to the USDA on their website, uh, organic means the methods that integrate cultural, biological, and mechanical practices that foster cycling of resources, promote ecological balance, and conserve biodiversity, conserve biodiversity. That's a really important piece. And then they go on to say synthetic fertilizers, sewage sludge, irradiation, and genetic engineering may not be used. So organic does not mean no pesticides and herbicides were used on your food. I want to make that really clear. Pesticides and herbicides are absolutely used in USDA certified organic farming. There's just a different list of which ones can be used. And even some synthetics Typically, when you think of organic, it's the, the all natural. But there are some synthetic fertilizers. What do you mean? What do you mean? Synth- okay, fertilizer. Sorry, sorry, not fertilizers. I want to be really clear. Some synthetic herbicides and pesticides that are allowed in organic farming, but those are the exception to the rule. But no synthetic fertilizers are allowed. So the role of a pesticide is to kill off pests. Herbicides to kill off weeds. Fertilizers is to bring in more nutrients into the ground, right? So organic farming has to use, you know, manure and um, different sort of like naturally derived inputs, okay? If they have to add in nitrogen or calcium to the soil, those those things need to be of natural origin. Nothing synthetic can happen mm. in the term, in that term. But yeah, I think some people think, oh, it's organic. I have nothing to rinse off. I, there are no pesticides used. And that's just not the case. So that definition I just read off was straight from the USDA. I wanted to get it from the source and use their language verbatim. The other thing I wanted to point out in their definition is the sewage sludge piece. Because we, we've we covered that briefly in an episode before, but I don't know that we've fully broken that out. So in the in organic agriculture... 
they are prohibited from using um, it's a regulated term, sewage sludge. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is the leftover water from water waste treatment facilities, meaning every time you flush your toilet, every time the hospital flushes their toilet, every time your office flushes their toilet, that water and all those solids go into a water processing plant. Once that water has been processed and, and sanitized and sterilized, there's wastewater from that. And what we have done in the United States is taken the wastewater from poultry processing plants, um, city water treatment plants, and we have then said, okay, um, we can either apply this to our agricultural land as basically fertilizer, or we can have our companies have to pay to put it in a landfill because it's a biohazard. It's waste. Um and so, unfortunately, in non-organic farming, that's allowed. But in organic farming, your field cannot be cannot be sprayed with sewage sludge, or as they like to call it at the the EPA, um, what do they call it? Now I just lost it. Biosolids. That's the term. Biosolids. So, it has gone through the treatment facility, and it comes out the other side. Shouldn't it be treated? What What do you mean? So the, this water comes to the treatment facility, and then it's sludge now. Yeah, it's not clean It's the stuff water. that comes out that's not clean. It's, it's the other side of it's it. It's not like tap water. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. You said it went through the facility it and does. it comes out and then it's biohazard. It's the wastewater. So what is the facility? Oh, it's okay. So it's the there's wastewater a portion of it that is clean mm-hmm. that is you're good to go that mm-hmm. comes through this facility. Mm-hmm. And then there's a portion that isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's the like, right, the, the stuff that they're filtering it's out. It's brown when it gets sprayed okay. on. So the stuff that gets filtered out. That should be why the facility is there is to take this out of the water, right? Yeah. That's what's going to be used to water the plants. Mm-hmm. Okay. That seems like a Biosolids are the product of the wastewater treatment process. Do you want me to read? Sure. I feel like I can let other people read into this. Read it. Some people, a lot of people aren't going to read it. I'm never going to listen to a podcast and go read something. That's where we differ. All right. During wastewater treatment, the liquids are separated from the solids. I hate that I have to read this right now. Those solids are then treated physically and chemically to produce a semi-solid, nutrient-rich product, which is used as biosolids. That's straight from the EPA's website. So you're taking the poos and things and flush down people's toilets. We're chemically altering that. We're just sanitizing them, right? Sterilizing like that. bleach or something? Some, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, let's right. talk. Honestly, Julie Lay knows a ton about this. Julie, if you're listening, let's get you on the, the podcast because we need you to speak into this. We actually did a really long, I think, hour-long live on Instagram talking about the issue of biosolids. Mm. because it's a real problem especially in rural areas because she actually was in a documentary about it because her uh, next door neighbor their land which they rented out to an agricultural Mm -hmm. whatever was sprayed and she said it was the worst smell she'd ever smelled these people are uprooted from their homes they it's such a toxic really noxic i think is the term right noxious term no, I gotta Google that. Noxious fumes, yeah, harmful, poisonous, or very unpleasant. Um, it's so bad when they're spraying this land with this quote biosolid, because as you can imagine, so think of a think of a poultry plant. Mm-hmm. Think of all the water they're using when they spray down that thing after, at the end of the day when they're cleaning mm-hmm. the processing of chickens, 
and all of the feathers and the goop and whatever else might come out and all of the chemicals as well, all the cleaning chemicals go down the drain, go through, I don't even know if that is processed or if it's just then sprayed right on. I have no clue about the chicken processing, but they're finding that insanely high levels of the quote forever chemical PFAS, which is a acronym for a really long name, are found in high amounts in the soil. So much so that in Maine, they, they've told the hunters not to eat the deer because the deer are testing so high for PFAS. PFAS are the same thing that are in like your Teflon cookware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when people say Teflon cookware, you know, especially when it degrades, some of those PFAS can get in your food and it's forever. You can't get it out of your system yeah. once it's in there. It stays in the body. There's no way to detox it. So we need to be really careful, especially about like our children growing up. Anyways, that's the issue with the biosolids. Not only is it, you know, intensely. Um, so, so, okay. So it's disgusting to talk about. Right. But let's, let's go deeper into that, right? And say, hey, so the food that we eat that is grown from that, is it bad for us? Um, so there, uh, the jury still is out. What do you mean? Okay, so jury's out, meaning there's people that believe that, hey, it's good to go. Yeah, there's people that believe like this is a beneficial use of this thing that we otherwise have to pay to dump into a landfill. Might as well use it. Okay, so I actually can understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, let's say we're growing corn mm-hmm. and everything about the corn process is good to go, right? We're not using GMO corn. We're not spraying glyphosate. We're not, we're not doing anything that would we believe would potentially be actually harmful to us mm-hmm. right the things that could you know harm the land the soil our bodies etc right mm-hmm. and then we fertilize slash water the crop with this bio solid solid liquid i mean, what, I mean is there like biosolid it's it's a semi-solid semi-solid situation <laughs> um and then you know, weeks go by after we've sprayed that on because it's not like every day they're spraying out this stuff, right? No, it's usually a certain amount of time where you can spray and then you can plant. The issue is, I don't want anything that like like think of all the think of the amount of pharmaceutical drugs that folks are taking, and then that's excreting through their excrements. Totally getting into there. That stuff doesn't wash out. Yeah, I mean, again, but like the 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 question is right. The question is, here's an example. The other day I was at my office and I wasn't even involved in the conversation and people started talking about uh, being vegetarian, eating meat, uh, hunting, etc. And one person says, hey, I totally respect the idea of hunting or whatever. I just never want to do it. I want to show up to the grocery store with a cellophane covered package of meat. I don't want to look this animal in the eye. I don't want to cut meat. I'm too squeamish. It's disgusting, right? And I thought about that, and I was like, "That's so interesting." I, I, I just can't resonate with this idea that we can we can be a part of this process that causes death, and then just like act like it doesn't happen, and almost like resist it, but then also benefit from it mm-hmm. again. So many people out there do that. That's totally fine. Like I get it. Like everyone has a job to do right and everyone has their strengths those you know those same people are probably excellent at you know understanding the the art of taking care of soil potentially right and then killing the animal is not their forte or 
harvesting or processing the animal, whatever. That meat, whether you process it or not, can be still good for you. And just because they're grossed out by the process and they don't want to do it, I mean, at the end of the day, they can be nourished by eat, buying the food. We live in 2022 here. We can, we can buy food from the store that someone else processed. I guess what I'm asking is, is that you spray these vegetables with this stuff. Yeah, it's gross. Can it's, you spray the ground? Spray the ground with this stuff. Yeah, it's gross. But are those vegetables now growing and are harmful that we should avoid? Or is it just a process that sounds yucky and for shock value, we're saying it over these mics about how poo is sprayed all over the ground. When in reality, we're spraying, you know, manure all over. I mean, it's not like the idea of spraying, you know, the, the, the waste from mammals on the ground. has. It's, yeah, that's not new. That's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. This is not properly treated manure from healthy mammals. And so the vegetables that are coming out of this, I'm asking, are, are those... What is the result of that? And I'm saying, A, I don't know. B, I don't think that there's any, no one is, I think the EPA is doing a bad job of regulating exactly what is coming out in the sewage sludge and exactly how that is impacting the food and the ground and Mm. the waterways. Because what I do know, there's a great documentary on it. um, I'll link in the show notes. But what I do know is that the only evidence I have heard has been that there are harmful forever chemicals, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. these waterways, fish are dying, ecosystems mm. are being destroyed, mm. people are being uprooted from their houses because the stench is so bad. Mm-hmm. They're confused. They're, all, they're also not telling the public. I know I have friends all over the country, right? And they say these tanker trucks roll in in the middle of the night and spray the field so that the community doesn't know. Mm. And they wake up to this horrid smell. So there's other issues beyond, hey, once that stuff has settled in the in the ground, is the food we're planting in it okay? I would say the fact that the USDA organic program does not allow for the spray of sewage sludge or biosolids is one thing to consider it'd be interesting you know i would love to talk to somebody that works for the usda and ask them why is that not allowed Mm -hmm. i guess that'd be a good question right and so and and i've been pressing so hard into this because i feel like this is where the 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 frustration in the i'm going to call it the counter real food culture community Mm. versus the you know regenerative farming real food community (laughs) lies yeah is that neither of us know yeah and that's the problem. And we all act like, um, hey, you know what? This, we, we, you can say on either side. For, for, you, can, you can make these shock value claims and you can, you can try to motivate people to buy something, right? And that's, what, that's where it all boils down to. And that's where it gets icky is this idea that stuff becomes marketing. And that's what I want this episode to really abolish is that for us and for what we're trying to promote it is not some marketing ploy mm-hmm. now the usda label in some scenarios probably is mm-hmm. guaranteed right there are definitely companies out there that are like hey let's slap this label on there and charge more there's a reason why well there's two sides of that right there's a reason why they have to charge more because it costs them to get that certification totally. and totally. some and oftentimes it's tricky because mm-hmm. sometimes Organic farming on a large scale can look very similar to, quote, conventional farming. Mm -hmm. And here's what I don't like. I don't want to ever 
just like when we had the conversation with Paul and he was saying he respects people who produce food. He said, I don't care if you run the largest CAFO and you have 50,000 chickens in a confined area. If you're trying to create nourishment for someone and that's the system you're working in right now, I respect you. Mm -hmm. And so I want to echo his kind of knowing that there are repercussions to that broken model, knowing that that model is broken and that's not the way that we have been producing food for a long time, knowing that there are more people we have to produce food for now. It's a weird tension to hold, Mm -hmm. but I want to hold it and say, if you're a conventional farmer, if you come from a line of conventional farming, if you have used you know, the methods of conventional farming, you're not a bad person. Mm -hmm. You're in a, you're in a model that is not the best way, but it's a way to produce food. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason why Kroger has a whole entire line of simple truth organic, Mm -hmm. because you're exactly right. It helps consumers know, Hey, if I want to buy organic, then I know exactly what to reach for. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about in this episode, why do you want to buy organic? Totally. What's the purpose behind that? Let's quickly tie a bow on the biosolid conversation, though. Just to kind of how give... How do you tie a bow on that? Here's, okay. how, here's how I'm going to attempt to, right? We're all making decisions for our families. We're all posed... We're, we're all walking the grocery store and we have to have some kind of education understanding of what we're buying and what we're purchasing right and the the information that we have today is not in the realm of hey if you eat foods that have been sprayed with this biosolid fertilizer is what the they're ground. calling it right remember the ground is being sprayed not yeah the not the vegetables yeah, mm-hmm. yeah sorry that you know we don't have data on what the nourishment value of that product has become. Mm-hmm. We don't have any data on what potential hazard could come with that. Mm-hmm. We do know that there is a product that is not allowed to be sprayed with, the ground is not allowed to be sprayed with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I'm guessing adjacent fields can be, right? Yeah, in the same way that you can have adjacent fields be sprayed with anything, and then there's there's always the possibility of drift, right? Totally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, farming doesn't happen in a bubble. We're, we're not we're not yeah, exactly yeah we're not living in a world of complete, you know, purity mm-hmm. in one form or the next. Mm-hmm. Now there's definitely some that are, that can be better than others, um, and so and that's why whenever we're talking about food and where to source from we've done some sourcing episodes some of the best way some of the best ways to source your food and to be educated in what you're eating is to know the farmer that made it mm-hmm. and we know that's not always possible we know that oftentimes we're going to a grocery store but that's like right our number one in all of our scenarios right hey if you want if you know the farmer that grew the cattle you can talk to them about the feed you can go out there and see the cows that's kind of like the number one <laughs> that grew the cattle that raised the raised, cattle. Raised the cattle. So, anyways. And so we know that the USDA organic label prevents that from happening. We don't know exactly why, but I think that's that's a that's a mission for all of us, right? Is whenever we're whenever we're trying to make decisions, we need to trust our own judgment and make wise decisions for ourselves. But let's get into because we could we could talk about every little aspect of the organic labels restrictions Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but let's let's get into let's, what you were saying before about you know why or why not we should you know eat, eating organic foods. Well, <clears throat> you always have to break it into categories, right? Because crop production is different from animal production, and uh, packaged processed foods can also be organic, right? Mm-hmm. As we were talking before we even hit record, you can have organic candy. There's organic junk food. There's organic junk food, exactly. exactly. And you know there is this halo effect around the term organic and i think people who oppose folks perhaps like us who try to encourage some differentiation in agricultural methods because i do stand on the side of you know regenerative agriculture when possible i do stand on the side of i think actually biodynamic farming would be the better term than just organic but Mm -hmm. the heart behind organic farming for both food or sorry for both plants and animals is really honoring that biodiversity of our ecosystems it's really so but the tricky thing is like you can have a massive field of organic soy or a massive commodity field of organic corn Mm -hmm. those i've been in them i've i've actually been on the combine and helped um harvest organic soy like i've done that and it was a wild experience but the true heart behind organic is really how we've grown food in small proportions, just utilizing the, the biodiversity of nature, right? So again, food doesn't happen in isolation. It also doesn't happen um, compartmentalized in these little boxes. There's all kinds of things that go into the tomato you're growing, all kinds of microbes, all kinds of nutrients, all kinds of other plants, all kinds of pollinators, And so organic farming, the heart behind it, the intentionality is to really stay true to some of those practices because we have to have regulation on a wide scale from our regulatory bodies like the USDA. Then they put some, quote, rules in place for that. But I think the reason why folks lean in on that organic label, why they walk into the store and say, I have to get the organic grass-fed beef is because there's so much confusion around what to buy that it feels like organic is at least giving them some indication into what they're purchasing. There's some security. There's a little bit of security. Yeah. Whether or not the security is valid mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. And I'm not saying to someone who can afford everything organic that they should stop and they should reach for some conventional or GMO products. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not saying that if you can't afford everything organic, you shouldn't buy the conventional counterpart. You, we still need whole real foods. We still need meat, dairy products, eggs, produce. Um, we need those things in our diet. And I think so often people are either intimidated or frustrated by the organic label or that's all they purchase. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a fear in them. It becomes a real dividing factor for them. And that's kind of the what I was hearing behind some of the arguments for the opposite of organic, Mm -hmm. sort of what I was alluding to in the beginning of the episode. And so I want to dismantle some of that fear. And I also want to talk about some of the nuance where we actually choose to not buy organic for some of our, Mm -hmm. some of our produce or some of our meat, because it's the difference is negligible and, or our, our budget right now just doesn't allow for that. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And I would never, I would never feel bad about myself at the at the checkout because I didn't get a hundred percent organic, mm-hmm. and I hope that no one has that guilt. There used to be a time where I would feel immense anxiety going grocery shopping, mm. 
because I would say, oh, well, it's either my family's health or my family's budget. I truly felt that. I mean, it was like during COVID eras when we were really in a tight spot and I, I hated grocery shopping, mm-hmm. not only because the the masks and the, everyone looked at you weird, but because there was that intense, like I used my heart used to race at the checkout counter. Mm-hmm. My hands would get sweaty and be like, oh my gosh, this is racking up. Should I, should I go put this back? Should I mm-hmm. buy the other version of this mm-hmm. or should I have bought the organic one? Yeah. So let's talk about the, because this is something that I'm passionate about as well. The reasons to buy organic. Hmm. Organic what though? Like what specifically do you want to zoom in on? Well, before I do that, I'm going to talk gen- generally. Hmm. And <clears throat> like an overarching. Exactly. So there's some, secu- so f- first and foremost, there's some security in buying organic in the sense that you know there's some regulation mm-hmm. that you can trust and in we're some talk- capacity. And we're talking about grocery store USDA, USDA organic, organic right? Yeah. label. Exactly. That's specific. We're totally. not talking about you're going to your farmer's market and you're talking to the farmer. He didn't pay for the certification, but you know how he grows. Totally. Or Totally. We're talking about you're walking into um, Publix, mm-hmm. Kroger, mm-hmm. Giant Eagle, etc. And they're telling you that this is an organic food. Right. Not not to even get into the part where all of our all of our listeners right now that are in Europe or another country, y'all don't even have to worry about this. Well, they have other they have other regulatory bodies that are telling them what's organic. Yeah. So like different different conversations. I apologize. But like here in the U.S., (laughs) um, you know, we we like to. Anyways, the uh, some of the reasons there there are. There are some security. There's some there like you were just saying, if you can't afford that, it can relieve some of that it, it can relieve some of that anxiety. That, that doesn't mean that's the right decision. I'm right. just saying that mm-hmm. for you, that's one of the reasons why we might buy that food. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance that the produce you're buying, if it's of that organic USDA label, is treated in a more natural way, and that can be some peace of mind. Now, what we're saying, though, is that, hey, keep in mind that that's not, oh, yeah, there's no, like, it's not like they're just putting a seed in the ground and walking away. <laughs> yeah. Okay? These people still have to mass produce this stuff to get it on the shelf of Publix, mm-hmm. right? Or the shelf of Kroger. So another reason, though, that I wanted to bring up, and this is a different one. This is why I wanted to broach this topic right now, is that there's influence in what we buy into the culture of what is produced. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's such a thing called supply and demand. Okay. And we get a little businessy and this is what's going to, this is this, this, these are the very concepts that make people anxious. Okay. But we're going to talk about them because they're very simple concepts and this is just how the, this is how the world works in all aspects, not just business, but think about when you're raising your family, right? This is a great way to look at it. And every day that you put out something that your kids will eat, let's say your kids love a certain kind of vegetable. Ruthie loves asparagus. Okay? She loves it. She's called asparagus. Mm-hmm. So Ruthie loves asparagus. <laughs> and thus, buying asparagus for our family is thought about more than maybe some other ones because I know that Ruthie will eat it. Mm-hmm. 
supply and demand, right? I'm going to buy more asparagus for our family because I know that it will get eaten and that it will nourish Ruthie's body. She's a picky eater and she chooses not to eat other stuff. It's almost like she's on strike until we give her what she wants. That's how kids work, right? It's how six-year-olds work. It's how six-year-olds work. Ray, a little less, she doesn't really care. She'll eat dirt if we gave it to her. Mm-hmm. The world, adults, we all work the same. We're all six-year-olds, right? And <laughs> the producers, the big ag, right? They're the parents in this scenario. Mm-hmm. So if we go to the grocery store and we're all buying organic foods, that's going to push more people to produce organic foods. Mm-hmm. That's how it works, supply and demand. So if, as people are reviewing their numbers, their profit and loss statements, their sales numbers, et cetera, right? And they see that organic products are far outselling the non-organic products. That's going to push people towards producing more organic products. Mm-hmm. Okay? So whatever we, wherever we put our money is where we're putting our influence. It's like having a vote. It's like voting for president, right? And every time we buy something at the grocery store, it's, it's putting another vote for that, for that item. Okay. And so that's with everything, right? If we're buying American made products, if we're buying local products, wherever we buy food, it's supply and demand. Okay. That is a reason why if, if we're in a movement where there, if we believe there's some good coming from this, if there's harmful things that are happening to our, to our, to our soil, to our grocery store, then buying organic can have an influence. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, that's, that's, I guess, one of the reasons that we could look at buying organic foods different than, well, it's just, it's more, it's healthier for me. And and then someone, you know, someone would say, how, how is it healthier for you? And that's where people get stuck. And they're like, well, you know, you're, you're spraying, you're spraying sewage sludge all over the soil. And they say, okay, well, you're putting manure on your soil. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. And then, and then people are like, "Well, there's chemicals in in the sewage sludge that that we're spraying in there to treat it." And and, and it's okay. Well, what's that doing to the soil? It's like, well, I don't really know. And then it's like, okay, well, we're getting stuck here. Well, we do know, based off of studies that are not of the organic, real food, regenerative farming community, that glyphosate has a very negative impact on the soil. Mm-hmm. Right there's there's connections to cancer. Yeah, from glyphosate. Very strong connections to cancer. And one of the things that USDA organic label is preventing, correct me if I'm wrong, is the use of glyphosate. Yeah, you can't use glyphosate. Okay, so if if there are some ways, you see what I'm getting at here, where I'm trying, the way I'm trying to go. Yeah, is this making sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we're when we're looking at the labels in the grocery store, what I definitely don't want to say is hey, if you're buying an organic apple that that apple is superior quality it is more apple <laughs> than another apple that's not what i'm saying yeah i th- what, it's interesting you say that because one of the quote arguments from the proponents of all foods i i, I guess i don't know how to categorize that that sector of thought Basically, people who say marketing uh, organic is a marketing scam, right? Those people say, well, uh, that organically grown apple is no different nutritionally 
than a non-organically grown apple. And to some degree, they're accurate. We're not talking about a nutritional profile. Now, there might be some differences, you know, when a vegetable or a plant is under stress and it is um, being harvested that way. Sometimes they can have a different expression. Sometimes they can be sweeter because of the carbohydrate compounds in there. Or or there's a way, um, remember I talked about that indoor farming um those indoor farming systems mm-hmm. where they were kind of touting the fact that their their produce grows in luxury, right? They have the right amount of they're constantly measuring perfect the soil, conditions and perfect conditions. I bet you though that produce tastes great and your body is going to be able to function properly as a result of that. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's going to hurt you. Right. I do wonder though because that is veering so far from how plants exist in nature in an ecosystem because that's not those are plants grown without soil Mm -hmm. those are hydroponically grown plants totally under artificial light Mm -hmm. with with um i don't know that the inputs are synthetic or not because they're not certified organic well the taste of it actually might be different in that scenario yeah so i there's a the but the point i'm making is that folks like to point to these greater arguments to kind of disprove the organic movement Mm -hmm. they say well it doesn't change the nutrition of the apple so why would you be reaching for it because we know that the amount of pesticide residues even on conventional foods is so small that you'd have to eat 500 apples to even be worried about it these are the things they say and so to them i say let's back up a second Let's back up because, A, you have no idea the compounding effect of all of these different things that we have now used. We have switched from natural inputs to chemical substitutions in almost every single area of our life. Mm -hmm. Think of our body products, our food, our home, what our home is made. Our home is not made from natural materials anymore. Like we've just veered so far from that that we don't know the compounding effects of that. So I don't like when people say, well, you'd have to eat so many strawberries to get any negative effect. Okay, you, but it's on everything and it's in everything and we're around everything mm-hmm. and then you throw on you know, radiation and all the other things that we can't control. And you're just like, look at the human condition right now. Are we healthy? How are we doing? I don't think America's doing that great. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one argument. that The same thing can be said for, they make this claim about genetic modification. And they say, people think that if you eat GMO foods, that it's going to change your own DNA. First of all, nobody I don't think that. thinks that. People who, <laughs> who actively avoid genetically modified foods... I don't believe if I eat a genetically modified, because I have, we all have, we've all eaten genetically modified foods. The concern is not that it changes our own DNA. And even if you go on the FDA's website, that's like one of their main points is like, no, it won't change the end consumer's DNA. Great. Thank you for telling. It's like they take a really obvious statement and they try to point people. They try to put a spotlight on that. And people can say, oh, okay, that makes me feel better, that it doesn't change my DNA. When in reality, what they're not realizing is that genetic modification in the term of GMO, not just selective crossbreeding, is taking a biological thing and inserting a part of its um, DNA sequence from a different species, a bacteria, a fungus, 
a virus, something else that's not an apple. It's not taking two apple trees and grafting them together. Mm -hmm. It's not taking two pea plants and crossbreeding them or two of the, you know. Bicolor corn. <laughs> no, like it's, yeah, it's not totally. doing that. Yeah. We are intermixing species. We are creating brand new varieties. And as those things continue to produce, we have no idea the, rep the repercussions. Well, if you remember, we talked with, was it Caitlin? Yeah, Caitlin. And we were asking, you know, what, what is the purpose of a GMO? Yeah. And it's one of the purposes that she was bringing to light for me was the unnatural resistance to glyphosate. Mm -hmm. So naturally, glyphosate would just ransack a field. Mm -hmm. All Everything would be dead. Everything would be dead. And if we create this, this GMO'd corn or soy or what have you, it now can resist this toxic product. Mm -hmm. And... Now glyphosate can be sprayed freely on these crops and they won't die. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what is that? I mean, I'm saying that right? Yeah. I and mean, that, that to me is saying, okay, the GMO, the resistance to glyphosate, I don't know what that will do to us. It's less about that, right? I mean, who, maybe it is bad, but it's more about the product that now it's going to have sprayed on it and around it and in it, mm -hmm. right? Into the ground and grown up into it that... Mm -hmm. that we're finding traces of glyphosate now in the foods that's causing harm to people. 80% of American urine samples tested positive for the presence of glyphosate. And, so that, and the, of course, the people are like, but it's such small amounts. Should any of it be in there? So funny. And, and, and then the other one that was interesting was this genetic modification for corn specifically is what we talked about. I'm sure BT. it's others. Mm -hmm. And... It was something that would kill, what was it? Worms. Worms. It would basically explode the intestinal tract of these worms. It would like deteriorate, is what she mm -hmm. said, the intestinal tract or the gut of these worms. Yes. Caterpillars. Mm -hmm. Right, caterpillars. Caterpillars, really, yeah. Not worms. Not like night crawlers. Uh, caterpillars that would eat the corn that would yeah. eat the corn mm -hmm. and it was a way to protect the corn from this specific insect yeah and then it and then it was like hey and now we're all dealing with leaky gut again there's no proof that that is that that is um connected or related issues however it's fascinating that mm -hmm. we're using a genetic modification to to deteriorate the gut essentially of these caterpillars and now a bunch of humans are like, I don't know what's going on. I gotta, you know. I just can't tolerate corn. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say. I'm allergic to corn. I can't eat it. And it's just it's interesting. And so, it's those sorts of things that we feel more compelled to avoid. And sometimes, right, buying organic means I'm going to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes buying organic means I'm going to support the cause against that. Yeah. And that's I guess I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So so there's like there's two reasons. That we can that we can investigate that's and I think that there's some stuff that you buy organic that right we want to avoid the gut deteriorating factor we want to avoid the glyphosate but there's some stuff and I, I'd like to get into it for, on the organic side that maybe is less impacted by the detriments to our health factors mm -hmm. but what some of the things that we could buy that are that are not organic that are that are less are there 
anything that we can buy or get that, that, that doesn't necessarily need to be bought or purchased on the organic side um, that we can consume. Well, it, it totally depends on who you are, your personal preference, what you want for your family. But for, for me personally, I'll speak from experience and nothing more. Um, there, there's a really simple kind of understanding of if a fruit or vegetables grown in an area and you want to avoid maybe pesticide residues as much as possible, mm-hmm. even if you think they're negligible, then you can choose fruits or vegetables that have an, a hard outer covering, right? Mm-hmm. So melons, I'm totally. usually not buying organic, mainly because I can't find organic in my closest Kroger. If I drive 15 minutes out, I can find it. Um, avocados are another example of something that you could decide to buy organic or not. Bananas is another one because you're peeling it. I will say, though, that this is the part where I understand accessibility and affordability play a key role, if not the most important deciding factor in our food purchases. But again, our food choices have greater impact. And exactly. And I, I was reading a book. I, I can't remember if it was Raw Milk Revolution or what the book was, but the author was saying how they were visiting a country that was a primary um, banana cropping country. And they said, why is that person like covered in head to toe in like a hazmat suit? Mm. And they're like, oh, well, they're harvesting bananas and they're conventional bananas meaning non-organically grown bananas are sprayed with this just horrid amount of these fumes or whatever is going on so these people were having to wear protection and they were having a conversation with maybe even one of their family members and they were just incredibly sick Mm. and he said from that day forward he would only ever buy organic bananas Mm. because he understood that the food producer was getting impacted Mm -hmm. not even the person bringing home the paycheck from your organic but the farm the the person who was hired to work on that farm Mm -hmm. or that um, crop production system. And you know, that's an interesting way to, 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 to put it because you look at coffee mm-hmm. and this is not a, this is not a, this is not me pushing organic coffee in any way. This is me saying that when we had Derek on talking about yield coffee and how they wanted to support the growers and support them well. So they buy really expensive coffee. They treat it super well and then they charge more, more, more for it. Yeah, because they have to. Mm-hmm. Their business can't survive roasting and distributing the beans if they don't charge a little bit of extra money. And then they're also able to pay a price for growers in other countries to have a sustainable business for themselves. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about the fact that you know there's growers in other countries for our vegetables, our fruits that are like those banana farmers mm-hmm. that their life is it's just it's not it's almost like slave labor Mm -hmm. oh it absolutely is and that's the thing is because we live in a globalized you know society someone is always paying a price for our um cheapness someone is always taking it on the chin for our affordability factor and i think that's the thing that really bothers me when i hear folks say well some people only have access to ultra processed foods and so if we demonize those then that's really inequitable and i want to say yes and even beyond those people 
there are also other people who are also hurting because of our food choices. Mm -hmm. And so that's we can't just like stop the train at one population of people and then also refuse to educate the masses on what maybe our food really is and really should be and equip them out of those places because there's always someone further down the line mm-hmm. that who is likely being victimized. And that's not to create like fear or whatever, but I think the more you open your mind to, okay, wh- how far did this banana actually travel? This wasn't grown in the United States. It's, it's with everything, okay, people? So like if you think about the clothes that you're purchasing mm-hmm. and you buy- We're both wearing American-made uh, exactly right hoodies on. right now. So you buy a pair of, re- of, of jeans that are that are- that are made in, you know, Taiwan or mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. And all these people that show up at these shops to sew these jeans or, or weave these jeans or, or create these clothes or these boots or these whatever are being paid like slave labor wages. And they're, we're talking... In some cases, I think in some cases, people have worked out a way where they're being paid a reasonable amount Um. It just doesn't convert well to the U.S. dollar. And so, what that does is that is that creates an affordable product mm-hmm. for somebody that that maybe is in a lower income bracket mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. And so, where the disconnect is is that if I say, "Hey, go buy only this kind of product that's made in America by people that are properly paid," this person says, "I can't afford that." Now you're 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 sep- you're kind of like singling me out because I can't afford that thing, mm-hmm. and you're making me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I need these products so that I can have clothes. Or I want them because I want to And so now, cool. you know, Joey, you're, you know, a jerk mm-hmm. that is that is like an elitist or whatever you want to call that, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, then, and then we're not remembering that there's people that are getting horrifically treated mm-hmm. so that this person can, can have an affordable pair of jeans. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like there's no – there's not a win-win here. No. It, with this with – this, but – I think both sides have a reason to the more demand, the more supply and demand we give to the American manufacturing that are treating people right, the more affordable that becomes, the more everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there was once a time where America was a primary manufacturer of their own products. goods. Yeah, it's it's whatever country of origin you're in, right? I, I understand the importance of import and export. I think that's, you know, great because we can't grow coffee in the U.S. I'm happy we can import it. Totally. But if if everyone just constantly reaches for, it's just the, it's just the broader consequences of a hyper-capitalist economy, which mm-hmm. you and I are both business owners. We understand that there's a level of that that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. But it's the mass production that leads to the victimization of other parties, maybe ones we can't even see because they're not even here, that often gets left out of the conversation. So when I say, hey, if you're shopping in the store and you don't have to worry about the pesticides on your banana because you can peel it, that's wonderful. And I could even say to you, you're really privileged to not have to know that banana farmer. Mm -hmm. I hate the term privilege being thrown Mm -hmm. around when we are only using it for one population and we're completely forgetting an entire other part of the world and to summarize that a little bit this is again not a this is just as we're looking at this organic food label Mm -hmm. and i know we're going off on some tangents here and i love it (laughs) (laughs) this is what a podcast is all about but we're looking at your usda organic food label Mm -hmm. okay and we're we're bringing up arguments on both sides 
And we want listeners and people out there to be educated so they can make decisions that are right for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're not saying that organic or nothing because we're also identifying that we're not living a fully 100% organic life. I don't know that that's truly reasonable. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is. I don't think it is. No. And what really it boils down to is this idea of healthy rhythms and routines, nourishment, understanding what food our bodies need, right? If you buy all organic food, you could be, you can, you can, you can be unhealthy and, you know, overweight or, or, you know, undernourished, undernourished, malnourished on a purely organic diet. Yeah. That is a reality. Mm -hmm. You can eat tons of organic foods that your body doesn't need. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that just is something that's going to be like a shock to people. I thought organic meant, you know, I'm healthier now. It's just, there, there was once a time where people were looking at like a gluten-free label and thinking, oh, that, this is a healthier bread because it's gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Or this is a healthier product because it doesn't have gluten in it. And people still think that. But that's ridiculous because gluten is just gluten. Mm-hmm. Whereas organic is just organic. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that organic candy bar is going to make you, you can't eat it for, for dinner, right? Anyways, you can't eat gluten free crackers for every meal of the day and say, I'm healthy because I'm gluten free. Or, you'd, be, you'd be missing a big part of your diet. Ultimately, I'm trying to say with this organic is not a starting place. Yeah. Organic is an end. Mm-hmm. It's start with let's let's make dinner. Mm-hmm. Let's make breakfast. Let's make lunch. Let's look. Let's let's understand macronutrition or nutrients. Right. Let's look at proteins, fats, carbs. Let's understand what our body needs to keep moving. Are we really active? We need more calories. Mm -hmm. What calories does our body need right now? Mm -hmm. How do we stay balanced and healthy? How do we make sure that we're nourishing ourselves appropriately to our current, right, day-to-day realities? You know, have I I just, do I just, do I sit around at the office? Do I need to watch what I eat so that I'm not just overeating? Am I, you know, a professional athlete that needs to just be consuming calories and calories and calories? Anyways, uh, I could go on and on about the kind of rhythms and routines that we need to start with, but that's where we start. And as we look into our day-to-day diets and the foods that we're eating, we can we can introduce organic items, I believe, where where we can, but also where we feel like we should. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it depend. It's it's truly food, case by case. So for us, some things that I typically always buy organic because we have the means to, we prioritize our means to always buy organic yeah. of these selection. It's typically the grains. Mm-hmm. Any grain I buy, I, I go for organic. And there's some speculation. Why? So so people will say, it, well, it, my first answer, why? Well, because I want my wheat to be the most digestible from myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to have been dried out chemically. I mm-hmm. want it to have been dried out naturally because mm-hmm. wheat doesn't get harvested when it's green and lush. Mm-hmm. It gets harvested when it's brown and dead and has gone to seed. The actual seeds of the wheat plant is what we eat. Totally. We mill into flour. So those wheat berries, right, are on the very tips of that. Gra- that it's it's a grass tips of those grasses and when we chemically dry them with a desiccant which is often glyphosate that we douse on our wheat and oats and other and barley and other um, types of grains 
that speeds up the process of drying it out because mm-hmm. it's it just sucks the life and the water out of it. And so if you're buying conventional grains, and we know this because we know that a bunch of conventional grain has been tested and in and we've found glyphosate in Cheerios, in mm-hmm. crackers, in everything Pepperidge Farm, and in um, you know goldfish that we're feeding our kids. We've found the glyphosate in there. And then people say, well, glyphosate's really not that bad. There's a mounting body of evidence and millions and millions of dollars and folks who have died from cancer who would disagree with you if you say glyphosate's not that bad. That's a whole other conversation. We had a fantastic episode on glyphosate and GMOs with Zen Hanika. And if that's you're still having some confusion around there, you want to hear that opinion, go listen to that episode. I feel very strongly that I don't want glyphosate in my food system. So we're buying organic So we're buying grains. organic grains. And but do you see the difference of that conversation versus organic is healthier? Yeah. And and this is exactly how this should go for all families. Yeah. You not need to a sit down. not a uh, you know seeing that you know label and saying oh this is better for me. Mm-hmm. Although again, like we said, you know that can be helpful in some ways because at least it guarantees some regulation, some form that you're you're you 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 appreciate. Yeah. But. Case by case is, is definitely the way to go. It's not the starting place. Mm-hmm. It's the end. Mm-hmm. The starting place is what should we be eating day to day? The starting place is really whole foods. Totally. Yeah. So thank you. If yeah. you're in a if you're in a space where you're like, which exactly how you and I both more, more so me exactly how I grew up on a semi processed packaged food diet, very normal. I mean mm-hmm. a bar is is a processed packaged food right mm-hmm. and it might only have four ingredients but that's not necessarily a whole food a whole food would be an apple mm-hmm. a whole chicken some cooked rice potato you know even a some flour that's been milled and turned into uh beautiful sourdough bread that would be in my mind a whole food i think also you know we can talk about the concept of processing and i think you know, I've heard the argument over and over again. Well, almost all of our food is processed. So trying to demonize processed foods doesn't make any sense because cheese is processed. Yeah, there's just there's different ways of processing. Right. Right. And that's that's like if you're in the camp of. OK, I process the deer that I kill mm-hmm. by skinning them, deboning them. We run them through a grinder to create burger. We make sausage out of them, smoke them on a smoker. We're, you know, carving up the steaks. We're trimming the silver skin. Sourdough f- bread is a process. Okay. Cheese making. But there's Cooking also, there's also process. processing that is like hyper infusing something with, um, you know, chemicals and preservatives to, to increase shelf life. There is processing where you're you know um cooking off something so that it no longer resembles its once current whole state Mm -hmm. and as an example of this would be like ultra high temp pasteurization Mm -hmm. where you've now processed this food Mm -hmm. this dairy product in a way that change the nutritional value of that food Mm -hmm. does it make it is it going to hurt you because of this process maybe maybe not but it's certainly different Mm -hmm. and that's i think the difference here and i hate the term pro and it's funny because i actually go over this in the 
first curriculum for kids. There's a difference between processing and denaturing and refining Mm -hmm. foods. Refining foods means that we take out a portion of the food that we believe is valuable, we take it out. Okay, so that's like taking milk and making it skim milk. We remove some of the fat. Um, We take a whole wheat berry and we remove everything basically but the endosperm, which is just the starchy part, Mm -hmm. and now we have white flour, Mm -hmm. refined flour. Those, Those are refining methods. Denaturing food is when we pasteurize milk. We are changing the nature of Mm -hmm. the original product. Ultra high temp organic milk is shelf stable. It could be sold on the inner aisles of the grocery store. It's just sold in the refrigerated section so it doesn't freak people out. It's truly a completely different product than that that came out of the udder. It is. And we cover that in great detail on several episodes. And so... This again, those two terms though, ultra processed foods and organic, they get lumped into this thing as if those of us who are trying to avoid the denaturing of foods and the added chemical inputs of our food system are somehow wrongly have have bad intentions. I think the point is for those for those of us who want to honor the full system, not just what's on our plate, but also the ground that it grew in, Mm -hmm. the waterways, the food producer, the communities in which this food is being grown. Good Lord, can you imagine talking to someone who had biosolids Mm. sprayed on their field next door, had to move out of their house for eight weeks, Mm. couldn't live in their own home. Eight weeks? Oh, even longer. And you're saying to them, organic doesn't matter. It's a marketing scheme. Mm -hmm. How do you think that would make them feel? I I totally agree. And and I, I, I I think one of the last topics I want to cover Let's just talk about marketing for a second. Let's just talk about marketing. Now, I own a market research company. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe I'm not. But there's definitely, I definitely have a very close view into the marketing world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Big companies work with us to get in front of their consumer, the people that are buying their products, and learn more about what makes them tick what their shopping habits look like, mm-hmm. what concepts and marketing, you know, positioning they might have created, how, how successful those are. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind that at some capacity, and by some I mean a large capacity, putting a USDA organic label on a product has a lot to do with marketing. Mm-hmm. There are, there are definitely meetings that are happening where people look around the room, around the table, and they say, well, do we want this product to be organic? And then they say, well, I've run the numbers, and we will make more money on this product if we put the label on it than if we don't, and vice versa, okay? And I will also say that everything in the world is, from a business organization, foundation, everything is thought through this way. Mm-hmm. If you go to a church, you walk in the door, that church has some idea of who their their ideal uh, church member is, mm-hmm. right? So if they're going to create new series, marketing campaigns, signage that they put out, some thought has gone into this is the ideal church member because they're going to either grow our numbers, they're going to bring their families with them, they they they're 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 the most likely to give money. Mm-hmm. This is how the world 
operates. This is how business operates. This is how churches or organizations, they have to grow and sustain themselves somehow. And so marketing is definitely a real thing. And I, I think it's, it's similar to food, right? If we understand marketing, if we understand food, it becomes less of this really scary unknown that we, that we are so repulsed by. Mm -hmm. Because marketing, man, it just feels so slimy and we're just trying to make money. And sometimes, you know, it is. Sometimes it is that way. Sometimes it isn't. And that's where understanding real food helps us. Mm -hmm. Because there are things that are, going to be, that are going to be labeled organic that are organic, but they don't really need to be labeled organic. Or, or that's not true. Or they are labeled organic and it was something that they purchased so that they could do that just so that you might pay more money for it. Mm -hmm. That's happening. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's got to be. That being said, I don't know anything to comment there. I just I just wanted to kind of throw out there that marketing is real, it's definitely a thing, and that the way that we're making decisions on the organic products that we're buying is less of a I see the label I buy it and more of a hey when I'm buying a wheat product, I want it to have these regulations because I know that the alternative is treated this way. Yeah. Rather than I'm just buying it because it has the label. Yeah, it, it comes down to... Read the ingredient lists of stuff. Uh -huh. what, what's in it? Mm -hmm. Does it need to be organic or not? Mm -hmm. It comes down to the education of what you're putting into your body and why. It also, I want to be really specific in the foods that we're talking about because I think when folks say, well, organic is just a marketing ploy or non-GMO is just a marketing ploy because they don't believe in the non-GMO system of agriculture or they don't believe in the organic systems of agriculture, they are mostly talking about when you see an organic USDA label on like a box of crackers, right? We're talking about a po packaged product most of the time if people are looking because an apple doesn't have product packaging mm -hmm. unless it comes in a bag. It's just an apple and it has a sticker on it. Mm -hmm. So there's no packaging that we're looking at for influence to say this is how much uh, vitamin content is totally. in this. There's no food label on Whole Foods in general. Perhaps some of them have you know stuff going on. Chickens might have a, a nutrient profile of some kind, but um, so that's that's the difference there. If we're looking at packaged goods, which they all have package packaging, <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> Um, there's going, there's a whole design team, a whole copywriting team. I was a copywriter. Mm -hmm. I know how to write for the purpose of selling something. That's, that's not inherently bad or dangerous. I think the actual inherently dangerous thing is to take an agricultural term and system such as organic or non-GMO and put that under the same category as saying something is quote all natural or something is, um, sugar-free or something is heart healthy. Mm. Those are marketing terms. Mm -hmm. Heart healthy is a marketing term. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean anything to me. I mm. know Cheerios are not heart healthy. I would, yeah. I would never eat Cheerios to better my heart, my That's cardiovascular. A That's a good point. But to say that the organic label is a marketing ploy because it's yes and no. Yeah, yeah you're there, right. You're there, right. There are, I think there's a difference between understanding that 
new mothers in a certain demographic want to reach for organic non-GMO products because they believe that's healthiest for them and their babies. So let me give you an example. And I I like what you're saying. So let's say Yield Coffee went and invested money to be certified organic. Because they're not organic right now. And we know that. And we drink their coffee. Let's say that they spent the money to become certified organic. Well, it wouldn't be Yield. It would be the farmer. Let's say the farmer spent money to be certified organic. Mm -hmm. Guess what wouldn't change? Their their growing practices. The the coffee wouldn't change. Right. Mm -hmm. So why would they spend the money? For the certification. For the perceived... So that there was consistency in their message. Because you know how many times people say, is yield coffee organic? That perceived message is another way of saying their marketing, their positioning. Some way or another, they, they feel like maybe we'll sell more. But this, I understand Or that. we can charge more. I, but like, so what I'm trying to say is, and you just said it, yes and no. So th- there is regulations that are attached to that label. It is officially stamped on by the USDA because they've certified you are practicing in this way. Mm-hmm. And we approve of what you're doing. And you're saying that there's also labels that aren't regulated, mm-hmm. right? And that's where um, that's where the trouble can come. That's where we shouldn't be lumping those into the same group is exactly. my point. And, exactly. I, and I agree with you. I think we need to cover this in this conversation as well because specifically talking about USDA organic, that program has faults in it as well. It's not like everything yeah. grown is perfect. Totally. It's not like there's not drift. It's yeah. not like there's not issues. There might be glyphosate in your organic food. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. that's been shown that we have certain levels yeah. of pesticides that are usually not allowed in organic farming. The difference is, or not the difference is, the point I also want to bring up is that if you know your food producer or you have the opportunity to talk to someone who knows your food producer, mm-hmm. as is the case with Yield Coffee, where he has flown. We talked to the owner and he has flown to these farms. He knows totally. these families. He's listing them off first name basis. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. He knows how they're growing. Their if things. you don't know who we're talking about, we did an episode with Derek, Derek of Yield Coffee. Yield Coffee. It's episode number seven. There you go. So it comes down to not just shopping. It comes down to sourcing. It comes down mm-hmm. to when I'm buying my half cow from our rancher, Mike, mm-hmm. I'm not asking if he's USDA organic certified. I know his land is organically treated because mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything to it. Totally. It is wild mm-hmm. land, meaning not like, oh, it's really great. Like it's left to its own mm-hmm. <laughs> biological uh, diversity. And this is an example of what I mentioned before where, you know, Mike, you've been on the four-wheeler, dr- driven around. Oh, I've spent hours been with on him. Been on his property. He's you've hysterical. Seen, I know, I know. But that's what I'm saying is that that is one of the ways, that's the best way mm-hmm. to source your food mm-hmm. is know the producer. And yet the comeback to that will be well that's great for you but i can't do that i know so what what do folks do what do they do if they're sitting in the grocery store they have limited funds limited understanding of what they're supposed to feed their families all they know is that it's it's more culturally appropriate to buy cheerios and goldfish for their kid than to scramble start with whole foods and work your way to the end of organic start with whole foods end with organic because at the end of the day, your body needs to be nourished. Mm-hmm. You need to eat foods that will sustain you to be healthy, to be active, to to make sure that your brain can function well. But the box of Cheerios says that it's part of a balanced breakfast and it's heart healthy and it's good for them. What's in the ingredients, right? 
it's a list of 20 long of, exactly of so starting with whole, wheat. so starting with whole foods but they don't know what extruded wheat is perhaps this consumer does not okay see what i'm saying uh, but 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 that's not but we're, i'm going to identify a box of cheers is not a whole food yeah right i'm not saying go to the grocery store of whole foods right? i'm saying you start with foods that you cook from scratch. I actually recommend not shopping at Whole Foods. It's expensive. Uh, totally. I can't. I don't shop at Whole Foods. But if you're buying vegetables, that would be a Whole Food, right? It's mm-hmm. not packaged. Mm-hmm. If you're buying meat, you're buying dairy products. Start there. You're starting with the raw material. If you think of building, start there. And when you're, and that, this is why we created what's for dinner. Mm-hmm. This is why we're creating what's for breakfast. Mm-hmm. It's so that you can start with whole ingredients, and then you can work your way up. Mm-hmm. and maybe you'll never work your way up, and that's okay. We want people to have rhythms and routines that support and nourish their family. And then we want people to be educated to understand what are these things and what, what impact do they have on my life and on the world around me. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, wherever we place our money is where we're placing our vote mm-hmm. in, a, in some sense, right? It is. And I want to make another distinction before we wrap up here and and that's that a lot of this conversation has been around plant production mm-hmm. animal agriculture is a different beast and there's actually some some case cases where you know buying the organic grass-fed grass-finished beef while that is a great option if you can afford it is not going to be the same as you know choosing the organic chicken because there's different implications to the counterparts if your beef is raised on a feedlot for the last three to four months of its life therefore is not you know grass finished it's still spent 85 percent of its life on pasture it's Mm -hmm. still a good source of protein vitamins and minerals and it's still a good option for your family i have often bought conventional beef when the price of the organic was too high for me at that during that week when it didn't when it wasn't available when i ran out of mike's beef that's been a real Mm -hmm. um decision that i've made recently that i feel good about i know that i don't have to exclusively eat grass-fed grass-finished organic beef like it's wild that that's like the gold standard Mm -hmm. because beef is actually the cleaner meat if we're talking about how it's conventionally grown if we're looking at chickens and pork we're looking at animals that can be raised from day one in a CAFO. Mm-hmm. We're looking at animals that can be raised in confinement, animals that can be fed antibiotics and growth hormones, specifically for pork, not for chicken. Animals that can have horrid growing environments. Animals where their excrements are pooled up in these like neon glowing pink pools of mm-hmm. manure and we have nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. There's another example of how agriculture impacts other areas of our life. Totally. And so... It's it really comes down to the consumer doing the hard work. And that's something we we that's why we have this podcast. But I can't sit here and coach you on every single thing to buy organic and what to maybe choose conventional and where to actually source, not even at the grocery store, maybe direct from the rancher Mm -hmm. or the farmer. Like I can't do that for you as much as I would love to. Mm -hmm. The closest thing I have to that is a resource is the real food guide where I do lay out sourcing and good, better, best. And Hey, this is what we choose. And totally, you know, I talk about some of that nuance of if I'm buying chicken, this is what I'm considering versus if I'm buying beef, it's a different story. If I'm buying produce, it's not all hundred percent organic. Here are the things I try to buy organic. Here are the things I don't really um, stress over if Mm -hmm. I can't access them. And so I just really want to put the emphasis not on let's let's argue over the ideology 
around the term organic. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I'm so sick of people arguing and throwing up false claims and honestly trying to put division in the U.S. population and either sow distrust in our greater um, regulatory systems to the point where everything is going to kill you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ever fall on that. And I also don't want to say, yeah, all foods are fine and safe Mm -hmm. and good for your family. And you should have no discrepancy because that's wrong too. And in fact, that's unfortunately what seems to be coming from a lot of these mainstream scientific influencers. And quite frankly, like it frustrates me to no end. Totally. So I want to wrap this up by encouraging folks to, A, you know, we're going to try to lay the groundwork on some of these things as best we can on this podcast. I think we should get on, Julie, and we should talk about biosolids for a Mm. whole episode. If people are interested in that, I'm ready to go deep in that. Free information, education into your ears. I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. I'll spend my hours of my day doing that for you. But at some point, we have to do some of the research on our own and figure out, okay, how can I make my budget work for me? How can I wield the most important organic purchases, even if they're not USDA, but I'm understanding I'm buying this from this farmer Mm -hmm. so that my budget is appropriately weighted? And, you know, I can... I can throw up a list of documentaries to give us a, a broad level understanding of that, or we can, you know, begin to unearth those things on our own. Right on. Well, that's a great place to wrap it up here. This was awesome. I hope, I hope this was beneficial. I hope, you know, it sparked some urges to kind of further the education for yourself and what you, what organic means to you. This is an ongoing kind of series we're going to begin to dive into. And it's just this idea of looking at different controversial topics within real food culture mm-hmm. and really look at it from both sides. I like that because I don't ever want to be this movement that has some weird bias towards perfection. Mm-hmm. because it's not that it really is just such an imperfect system on both sides and we're trying to be educated and make the right wise decisions for ourselves our world and our family and so, there's misinformation on both sides and there's misinformation on both sides absolutely right on well if you've if you've enjoyed this and you want to hear more from either elizabeth or myself you can do that you can find us on social media you can find us on instagram you can find Elizabeth at Liz Hazelmeyer. You can find me at Joey Hazelmeyer. You can find Elizabeth at homegrown underscore education. Mm-hmm. That's where we kind of continue to put out content around these topics. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I already can think of like five different posts I want to do to kind of build out this concept around organic because I think it's a real big topic. And people either embrace it wholly or they reject it wholly. And I think that there needs to be some middle ground. And as you continue to further your education around these topics for yourself, we've created some products for you. We've created some things to help you stay in the game and well-equipped to know what's right for you and your family. You can find those products at homegrowneducation.org. We've got curriculum that you can use to teach yourself in the Real Food Guide or your kids. We've got children's curriculum to teach your kids to start a new generation of informed 
educated people mm-hmm. that know real food. We have a whole lesson on farming practices and we have a whole Q&A page on, well, why is organic more expensive and what does it actually mean? And why would you, what is the difference between conventional biodynamic and organic farming? If you want those definitions and you yourself are confused, how do you think our kids growing up in this food system will feel <laughs> yeah. when it comes time for their buying power to be enacted? So those are really the things I feel passionately about. Yes, get the real food guide. It's digital. It's 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 a pretty affordable product. But man, let's teach our kids. We've got initiatives in the form of coloring books to support these farms, mm-hmm. to raise awareness around these farming pra- practices, to normalize real farming. Mm-hmm. Get those for your kids. You know, the last thing they need is another you know unicorn or you know. What, what, what else we got going on out there? Coloring Elmo. Elmo yeah. I mean. Hey, those are great. Love Elmo. Love unicorns. But, do we uh, love Elmo? I don't know. Maybe. Unicorns. But this this is uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is a coloring book that that normalizes some things that we feel will have a lasting, long impact. So. Mm-hmm. And finally, if you want to get in some healthy rhythms and routines with food preparation, and you want to start with Whole Foods, we created a. We created what's for dinner. We talk about it every episode. Get what's for dinner. Start making dinners from scratch. And look out for what's for breakfast. It's going to help you in the same way that what's for dinner has helped you, but with breakfast. And we we want to do whatever we can to set you up to create real food in your home for your family and for yourself. Mm -hmm. And with that, until next time, that's a wrap.